2: A MAGA war of words heats up.
1: Governor Kemp is my governor. I'm going to
2: support it. Welcome to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal Constitution, the podcast we want you to depend on for the most on the ground coverage of the 2022 election. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, along with your other host, Patricia Murphy, and we are two of the political insiders here at the AJC. A reminder if you're just listening to us for the first time, please follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Coming up later, how the primary will also shape the direction of Georgia Democrats. But first, Chris Christie and two other establishment-friendly governors are headed to Georgia to rally for Governor Kemp. And Donald Trump isn't too happy. Patricia, the former president's response by calling them rhinos wasn't that surprising, but Chris Christie's counterattack was he mocked the former president for losing. What do you make of it?
3: I love it so much. (laughs) Um, uh, Just because... It just is such a vivid display of the, frankly, the waning influence of Donald Trump in this particular. Corner of the world in this particular situation, and that is specifically um, Donald Trump's influence over the actions of other Republicans. Um, there was a time, not that long ago, when Republicans would behind the scenes say things about Donald Trump. I don't like his tweets. I'm I don't I don't like him. I like his policies. That that type of thing. Um, but very rarely say anything not just against. Um, Donald Trump, but even in conflict with Donald Trump, there was just, there was a level of fear that Republicans were not going to keep their jobs, would not stay in public life if they spoke out against the president or anything he was uh, supportive of. And that has, uh, that's just changing slowly, but surely in Georgia, in this context of the governor's race. And um, when I say the reason I love it so much, it's not that I love this kind of conflict. It's just that it is on such vivid display. It is such a perfect encapsulation to have um the President come out and say something about these three governors, two current former go- two current governors and a former governor, and Chris Christie is one of the um, one of the uh, loudest to come out and say, You know what, maybe the R in Rhino stands for reelected because all three of these governors got reelected, and Donald Trump did not.
2: You're exactly right, And George has become the prism of which um, folks here, of course, but also nationally, um, this whole Trump verse. Non-Trump wing is being looked at, and this strikes me of a, as another example of how this race for governor and and really other races down the ticket are becoming proxies for a fight between the establishment wing and the, and the pro-Trump wing. And I don't think Governor Kemp a few years ago would ever have, have been satisfied with being compared to the to the uh, establishment wing, um, but but now he's got all these establishment figures rallying around him. You know, the Capitol crowd for for one um, name brand you know, Georgia Republican politicians, um, these governors that we were just talking about. That's just the latest sort of illustration of this. And not long ago, Patricia, you broke the story of how House Speaker David Ralston, who was once basically at Governor Kemp's throat. I mean, the two of them were were not, they weren't even friendly rivals. They were rivals flat out, um, especially the first year of Governor Kemp's term in office. Well, he stepped into the governor's feud the governor's primary in a major way today.
3: Yes. Um, earlier this week, we saw David Ralston come out and endorse Brian Kemp weeks ahead of election day. And it's important, I think for two reasons. First of all, in that, um, Ralston is coming out and making this pick ahead of the primary um, because it tells us where he thinks his caucus is right now, the relative strength of his caucus. Of the 137 Republican members in the Capitol House and Senate, um, just about 130 have come out for Kemp. So this is not an establishment versus the conservatives. I mean, this is like the entire body politic Republican um, have come out for Kemp and against Purdue and against Donald Trump. And in that group are many Trump supporters, guys who like, guys and gals, who like the president, like, don't mind his tweets, really like his policies, but in this instance are choosing to go against the president. And so for Ralston to come out says not only does Ralston personally support this governor, and as you said, these two were at real blows just about two years ago. I was going back and reading the clips because I was not with the paper at the time, and it was words like toxic, brutal, brutal visceral. Um, it had just devolved to this point where the governor's uh, press secretary put out a statement saying that he didn't need any lessons in conservatism from David Ralston. It had just devolved to this kind of nasty mess. And now in Blue Ridge, in David Uh, Ralston's district, the governor has traveled, signed the state budget. That budget includes a number of David Ralston's priorities, and he endorsed this governor. So he's on board personally, and he's on board knowing that his caucus will be strengthened by this and not weakened. And to me, that's the most important piece of this.
2: Patricia, David Perdue promised he would unite the Republican Party. I don't know if he Thought he would unite it in this way for Governor Kemp, but we're certainly seeing um, <laughs> some of that effect right did, now.
3: Yeah, that's true. He didn't think he was going to actually <laughs> unite it against him. I don't think that was part of the plan.
2: <laughs> and look, we still have we're 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 here now, less than two weeks before the primary. Um, we've reported in the Jolt and uh, elsewhere that yes. David Perdue has a very slim chance right now, according to the polls, according to all the evidence we're seeing on the ground and elsewhere, uh, of making a runoff. Um, but at the same time, there is a chance. And Governor Kemp is putting everything he can <laughs> into uh, suffocating, squelching, um, snuffing out, extinguishing any sort of threat that David Perdue might pose. Um, and you know, the other day, we, we published a, a leaked memo from the from the Purdue camp that showed why they think that the early voting numbers are in their favor. Um, but Patricia, when we have figures like David Ralston, who not only is he endorsing Governor Camp, but he's, he's also he also um, set the stage, cleared the way for, for the governor to achieve every major legislative item on his agenda, including the transgender sports legislation that me and you both knew that David Ralston behind the scenes um, was very skeptical of.
3: Yeah, that's right. They have found a way to work together, and not just work together, but to really try and strengthen each other's hands. And I think that that transgender sports bill was a very good example. And that was not something that David Ralston had on his priority list, uh, but Governor Kemp came into the chamber at eight o'clock that night on uh, on the last day of the session with four hours left and said. I need this. And Ralston gave him something to uh, take back to voters. And uh, I think in the budget also, um, it happens to be a very good budget year. So there were not tough choices in terms of um, cutting people's priorities. It was more, which priorities do you um, do you go to? And um, I do think Republicans largely give Brian Kemp a lot of the credit for that, for the good budget year, for Um, choosing to open the economy during COVID, even when he was getting criticized from Donald Trump, of all people. So the Kim campaign is just giving it all they've got. And that's exactly what this uh, David Ralston endorsement was about.
2: You're right. And let's hear House Speaker David Ralston in his own words and why he's throwing his support behind Governor Kemp.
3: I've been uh,
1: very impressed with his leadership. His leadership style is not one that's self-centered. He's a... You know, for the most part, an humble guy, but firm. And I truly think, having been with him all over the state, that he has a, a heart for all of Georgia and truly wants to do the best thing for uh, the state now and in the future.
2: And the speaker also has concerns about what he's seeing, the dynamics he's seeing in this race for governor.
1: The time for the divisive rhetoric, uh, the time for the attacks is, is way over you know, I respect that people have a right to run in a primary, but at some, at some point, you know, the question has to be asked: Is this contributing to the good of the, of the party uh, and the uh, cause, or is it being harmful? And uh, I think that with this, 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 this governor has taken. Punches relentlessly. Unfair punches. And, and, you know, uh, at the end of the day, we're we're not electing someone
2: to settle scores. Unfair punches. So there you have it from House Speaker David Ralston um, speaking for his wing of the Republican Party. And as we mentioned, he's somewhat, he's very conservative, but he's somewhat of a moderating force in the Georgia Capitol, pushing back against um, some of the more uh, extreme conservative measures, um, the pro-business voice—really, really, kind of the 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 loudest voice in the establishment. Wing, I, I'd say,
3: yeah. And um, that audio was from my interview with Ralston. You could actually hear my me scribbling with a pencil. <laughs> That's what that other sound <laughs> was. old um, But I also asked him about Donald Trump and the role of Donald Trump in this primary, and he said, you know, you notice that this entire interview, I never mentioned that name. And he never did mention that name, Uh, but he said that he uh, felt like his members were not giving We're just not paying attention to it, not paying attention to the Trump endorsement, um, not something they were factoring in. He said that they're making this decision based on uh, what they think is good for the state, what they think is good for their district. Um, Certainly none of them would be doing this if they thought it was uh, bad politics or politics that would endanger their own reelection. And so we can assess David Perdue's chances in that way as well.
2: And... uh He also did not mention Donald Trump's name when he spoke to reporters in his beautiful hometown of Blue Ridge. And Patricia, while the Trump wing and the establishment wing of the Republican Party duke it out, the Democrats are having their own fight over the party's direction, most notably in the 7th District, where Carolyn Bordeaux, incumbent congresswoman, and more moderate Democrat, is facing Lucie McMath, another incumbent congresswoman, who's a hero of many on the left. I think we'll see more divisions um, as the runoff phase um, you know, we enter the runoff phase in after the May twenty fourth primary because there's so many Democratic candidates running for lieutenant governor and secretary of state, and you know, um, agricultural commissioner, other statewide races. So I think the divisions will, will come into sharper relief. But right now, the seventh district might be the best um, example of of that um, that rift in the Democratic Party as well. That gets less attention because it's hard to talk about it as much when we have Trump, you know, battling out with. Governor Kemp every single day, it seems. Um, But this is a defining moment for Democrats as well.
3: It absolutely is. And I think the reason we aren't seeing those divisions is just because this is still an ascendant party, meaning they are not yet in the majority. They do not yet have uh, multiple leaders battling for power. It's basically Stacey Abrams and everybody else, and everybody else, are very grateful for to Stacey Abrams for being a high profile, high money raising uh, candidate at the top of the ticket. Democrats did manage to um, essentially clear the field, not just for Stacey Abrams, also for Jen Jordan in that AG race. Um, they uh, Charlie Bailey was essentially invited to choose another race, so he chose the lieutenant <laughs> governor's race. Now chair. that's going to be a big crowded primary field. But none of these lower-down-the-ticket races have that same um, kind of firepower as the 7th District. That is a perfect example of um, a more progressive candidate in Lucy McBath, a more moderate um, kind of budget-focused candidate in Carolyn Bordeaux. And this was a uh, rivalry brought to you by the Republicans. Uh, Drew Lucy McBath out of her district essentially made it uh, essentially impossible for any Democrat to win pushed her over to the 7th, which was the intended effect, actually, to make sure that they could not only get that district, but take at least one of these Congresswomen out of the North Atlanta suburbs in the process. So um, at the moment, to the victory go the spoils. The Republicans are still in charge of the apparatus of the state. And so they're still able to do things like that. Um, At some point, the Democrats will be in charge because at some point, every party loses power and somebody else gains power. And we will start to see these divisions among Democrats when they do gain power, when they fight over the power they have instead of the power that they want. Um, but for right now, it's the Republicans. It's kind of their burden to bear because they are in the majority and they power. do have these, these battling factions.
2: You're exactly right. Uh, and when we get back from a quick break, we'll talk about other races that will define 2022. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.
0: Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents... Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop.
3: Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop.
0: 50 years. No one can deny... One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Indictment newsletter. And we're back to Politically Georgia
2: from the Atlanta Journal Constitution. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, along with your co host, Patricia Murphy. And we are two of the three political insiders at the AJC, along with award winning Washington correspondent Tia Mitchell, who just won a major award in D.C. for regional reporters, basically for reporters in Washington who cover. who cover the states, who, who who don't just focus on national and federal stories, but cover st- stories with a state view. And that is what we bring you at the AJC. And we also bring you every morning, um, especially for Patricia, very early morning, the Jolt. And um, we can tell you that the your latest Jolt will focus a little bit deeper on why David Perdue's fundraising has collapsed. We think the Morning Jolt newsletter sets the stakes and the agenda in Georgia politics, and you can get it in your inbox every morning. If you're a subscriber to the AJC, you can join our community now by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts and your first month of unlimited digital access is just 99 cents. That subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts so you know what's really going on. Uh, we'll actually throw in a freebie. Patricia Murphy will even give you a wake-up call from her 3.30 a.m. merch if you join right now in the next 13 minutes. I am ready
3: minutes. to start the group text at <laughs> 3.30. Hey, guys, what's going
2: on? I'm up. So we've talked about
3: – We need to make that the super subscriber tier. Yes.
2: If there's a <laughs> the, the upper echelon for that, – That's our producer, Jay Black, who is a member of our su- super subscriber tier, but he never responds to Patricia's early morning text. I don't know why.
3: I know. It's so weird.
2: I used to
0: wake up at 1:45 in the morning. I ain't even gonna wake up at 3:30 in the morning anymore. Sorry, Patricia.
3: Yeah,
2: um, I'm up at six, and I'm I'm good. Uh, so, we've talked about the dueling branches of the GOP, but then you've got Herschel Walker, who, thanks to his celebrity, he can be the rare candidate to sort of try to bridge both divides. He's got Donald Trump's endorsement, he's got Mitch McConnell's endorsement, he's got all sorts of endorsements from from state party figures, from national party party figures. And at a Young Republicans of Atlanta event last week, Herschel Walker talked about why he thinks he can bring people
0: together. We gotta come together, and I know I can unite people. I can tell you that, I can unite people. You've seen it, the people that's endorsing me right now, some people that didn't even like each other, but they endorse me because they know I'm the right one for this seat. And I said, guys, I don't listen to them because I'm running this. And that's what I decided I was going to do. I'm not just trying to be a politician because some of the people don't want to be politicians. They want to hang out with their buddies. You notice they look just like, you notice I don't even look like a politician. I don't dress like one, do I? I don't wear a tie. My neck is too big to put a tie on, so I'm not wearing a tie. (laughs) Hey,
2: what I am, who you see right now is the person I am. I can confirm <laughs> he was not wearing a tie and his neck is big. Um, but um, the point here is that Herschel Walker is saying um, that you know he, he has the ability to, sm- to make this broad-based message because he doesn't have to worry about his – he feels like he doesn't have to worry about his Republican rivals. He feels like he, all he has to do is focus on Raphael Warnock. And he doesn't really f- feel like he needs to um, raise his visibility or raise his profile at all. He only just started airing TV ads um, a few weeks ago. Um, Because he has that name recognition from from playing at UGA and from being a professional football athlete and sort of being the sports icon for so long. And really, you know, when you go to one of his events, you see fandom really fuels it. I mean, there's a lot of folks who, yes, they might like his politics and they might like, you know, his message. Um, But uh, one one Republican at this event where I taped that audio said, he's like Kelly Loeffler, but with a personality. And I didn't say that, but <laughs> someone else said that, but you know, you can, he he does, he has a, um, uh, you know, he has a likability factor that's going to be, it's going to be a, a major um, challenge for Democrats um, because as much as people want to question his erratic behavior, his, his violent history, um, you know, his, his, his bizarre statements <laughs> on, on political subjects and things like that. Um, when you, when you see him in a crowd like that, he really played off the crowd um, and, even his skeptics in that audience came up to me, some of them said, you know, I'm a Gary Black supporter, but I could I vote for him. So that, that's going to be a challenge for Democrats to contend with.
3: Yeah, he's definitely got that X factor. He has been in the public eye for so long um, that he is so comfortable in front of a crowd. He's very relatable. Um, yeah, I think he's very endearing in front of a crowd to say, my, you know, my neck is just too big to wear a tie. And people loved hearing that from him. You know, if that was all he had to do to get elected, he would win for sure. Um, but there have been no ads of to speak of. Run against him, no money really spent against him. And I think what Herschel Walker's um, challenge is going to be is maintaining that likability and maintaining that bipartisan message or almost a partisan message while also um having Georgia voters inundated with things he's even just said on twitter in terms of um raising questions about the last election in terms of raising questions about covid um there are a number he's made so many public statements democrats are just going to have a ton to work with and he is a Donald Trump supporter and has said many, many, many things supportive of Donald Trump, um, including right around January sixth. And so I think that he is going to need to marry these two personas and make it make sense for Georgia voters. Um, and that is possible. But I think right now is the absolute honeymoon phase of this um, this situation for Herschel Walker running for Senate. Um, but he has a lot of natural attributes that you just can't buy, you can't pay for, you can't fake it. He's just got a likability and an X factor and a celebrity built over decades and a level of trust built with Georgians over decades with Georgians who feel like they know him that makes him incredibly formidable for Democrats. And if they aren't taking him seriously, they need to start taking him seriously.
2: Exactly my thought, and as I was sitting there, I tweeted a little bit about what he was saying. I was trying to pay attention, so I wasn't tweeting the whole time. Um, but a democratic, a senior Democratic operative said, "What did you think?" And I said, um, "I wrote back. Um, I, I think he's going to be someone who is not easily someone that Democrats should not um, underestimate." And, and this operative wrote back. He said, "Trust me, we're not." And I said, "Yeah, but I've I've heard plenty of of, of you know just rank and file folks who." Who think that Democrats who think that he'll be this pushover and he is, as you heard him, he's he's a big guy. He is not going to be easily toppled. So um, we'll we will be keeping you up to date with every twist and turn of that race as well. And the reason why we're talking a lot more about the governor's race is pretty obvious that that, that the polls show that one tighter. Um, Herschel Walker's race will enter a new phase. It looks like May twenty fifth, and that phase will be very interesting and fun and exciting and all those other adjectives to watch. Uh, Patricia, we're at our, our maybe your favorite phase of the show, which is listener mailbag. And I, I think you've got a, uh, a doozy this week.
3: I do. Well, I have a, well, I think it's just a great question. I have a question from Dan Greenberg in Atlanta. And he, Dan wants to know, um, I just voted in the Republican primary and I saw a question about Buckhead Cityhood. I thought Buckhead Cityhood was not on the ballot this year. What gives?
2: You want me to take that one first? Yes, you go ahead. Oh, cool. Dan, I think we're cousins. Um, So that's a great question. These are non-binding ballot questions. It's basically like a a free poll for the Republican Party, and Democrats have the same – array of questions, of, of course, of, to their choosing. So they also have non-binding questions. And we've seen some interesting ones. Back in 2012, the one I remember the most was, should um, gambling be legalized uh, to to uh, to pump money into higher education? And a narrow majority of Georgia Republicans actually said it would. So that, that to me, um, ind- indicated like a sort of sea change on gambling. So sometimes, you know, not, no action's taken by this, but it, it gives you a... Um, an idea of where Republican voters or Democratic voters, whatever primary, where they fit, and it also gives you an idea of the party's policies. Because if the Republican Party of Georgia chooses to put a Buckhead ballot question on, on their primary ballot, you can you can um, you, you can read into that that they feel strongly about making Buckhead a separate city. Um, likewise with Democrats when they put questions about forgiving student loans and um, and you know criminal justice reforms and issues like that, you can tell that that is a priority of theirs too. And they they'll use these sort of answers to help inform their decisions going forward.
3: Yeah, and that Buckhead City question appears only on the Republican ballots, not on the Democratic ballots. Yeah. Um, but it's not to be confused with the Cobb County Cityhood referendum, which are real questions. Those are real uh, items for Cobb County voters to be voting on on for um, multiple cities in Cobb County, potentially. So if you live in East Cobb, Vining's, Lost Mountain, you'll see a cityhood question on your ballot. And that is to um, really is to create a separate city in your county and to live in that county. I mean, excuse me, live in that city.
2: You got it. Um, And that's a whole different other issue. Um, Patricia, our other favorite segment of the week, who is up and who's down? Who's your who's up?
3: My who's up, I think, I hate to be redundant, uh, but I do think it's um, Brian Kemp because he has really rolled up the support of the entire state legislature. And I think he is at a point in this primary that none of us thought he was going to be Five months ago, he is um, rounding up lots of support, rounding up lots of money, feeling good going into primary day. Um, however, as you said, uh, uh, David Perdue doesn't need to win on Election Day. He just needs to kem- keep Kemp under 50 percent. That would be just dragging him down by about three points at this point, according to polls. So it's uh, it's doable. It's, it's just looking hard at the moment. So I think Brian Kemp is my who's up. My who's up.
2: Are the residents of coastal Georgia, although some might disagree with me because some might be against this, but um, uh, the AJC brought you the news earlier this week that um, the parent company of Kia, Hyundai Motor Corp, is going to build an electric vehicle factory in southeast Georgia right around the Elabel mega site, which is um, near Savannah, near Brunswick, right on I-95. It's a huge site owned by the state of Georgia, um, not far from those coastal centers, also not that far from Statesboro. Um, it's going to bring, from what we we're told, 8,500 jobs to, to that region, Include, but that doesn't include thousands of spinoff jobs and service industry jobs and others that will be coming to that area. Of course, there'll be some that oppose um, such a big development, and we totally understand why, but there'll be others who are very excited by the possibilities and the jobs and the prosperity that it could bring. Um, and so we'll be watching that very closely. I was speaking to a group of mayors in LaGrange Grange. And I got about 15 questions before I even went on to start um, yabbing about this project and about what it means. And these were mayors from North Georgia and Southwest Georgia, nowhere near the coast, um, who were excited about what it meant for the state of Georgia. Patricia, who is your who's down?
3: So I'm going to give my who's down to Raphael Warnock this week. Um, Not specifically for anything that Warnock has done, but because Herschel Walker is looking stronger and stronger. He's getting out more and more um, and really looking like an ascendant candidate heading into November. Um, And on the issue of abortion, um, Senate Democrats took a vote earlier this week to codify abortion in the law, but they really chose to do a show vote, no attempt to make that real legislation that could actually codify privacy, um, or have a path to protecting abortion in, um, in federal law. And it's, uh, I think that was, a, a missed opportunity for Democrats to say we're doing something about this instead of saying, Oh, we can't do anything about this. I don't think that's the right message to be sending uh, to women who, uh, who do care about this issue. So I'm going to put Warnock a little bit down because he's got some competition coming his way. I will
2: put my who's down as I put my who's up was coast of Georgia because of Hyundai, my who's down has got to be Rivian. Um, their stock has plummeted. Um, there's renewed questions about their, their, their production capacity and their ability to, to, to meet all these promises. Um, and I'm hearing, you know, the starting of a lot of speculation about, about what will happen to their proposed project, $5 billion project in Georgia, nothing firm, nothing, you know, that we'd ever report. But, um, just just the beginnings of some concerns. So we'll be watching that very closely as well. Well, you can count on new episodes of this podcast to come out every Wednesday, Friday, or whenever news breaks. So we will see you then on Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta
1: Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody.
3: Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at
2: www.ajc.com slash unapologeticallyATL.
3: Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.